How you doing? This is Quincy McKnight. You listen to Left Coast Pirates. Haul in. to go down by two. Here's Whitehead, guarded by Ochefu, gets the step into the lane, goes to the bucket, layup, rolls around and in, and a foul! Whitehead ties the game! Pow! From Trenton! Woo! What Trenton makes, the world takes! From just west of the Ward Place Gate in San Diego, California, he is Mike Deziri, class of 2001. I am Tom Kaharski, class of 1997, and we are Left Coast Pirates. Welcome to this week's edition of Left Coast Pirates. It is November 7th, 2021, and we're just days away from the official start to the Pirates season against Fairleigh Dickinson University at the Rock. Mikey, how are you this morning? Tommy, what are we doing? A couple of years ago, at least we got to watch the exhibition game on the Flow Hoops app while they were out in Italy. And we were like probably one of like, what, 10 people that got to watch the Pirates play that week. So therefore, we decided to throw a, throw a recap out there, which I thought was kind of stupid as well. But we're doing it again. Tom, we didn't get to watch the game. We're going to do an I, exhibition recap of what? The Twitter updates? I don't know about you. I know you had a guy in the crowd send you did. text did. updates all day I long. I was listening to SOU's broadcast of the game. Oh. I am ready. I can't tell you what it looked like, but I can tell you what it sounded like. No, no offense to the WSOU kids. We're going to go off of what WSOU is telling you. Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> we've got on today's podcast a recap of Seton Hall's win against Misericordia. We will go behind enemy lines with coach Greg Horenda and assistant coach Brandon Hall to talk about the upcoming game against Fairleigh Dickinson. And we will also preview the game against Yale. But first, Seton Hall 110, Miser Accordia 48. Seton Hall got off to a sluggish start as the D3 Cougars from Dallas, Pennsylvania led 16 to 14, seven and a half minutes into the game. But after that, it was all Pirates. A 37 to 10 run closed the first half. And they were plus 37 in scoring margin in the second half. A sold-out crowd of 1,300 went home happy. That's on this one. Individually, Trey Jackson, 19 points, 6-9 from the floor, and 8 boards to boot. Tyree Samuel, double-double, 15 points, 10 rebounds. My new boy, Bryce Aiken, 11 early points in limited minutes, and he was hot from three-point range, 3 of 4. Another new pirate, Alexis Yetna, 12 points on 4-4 from the floor and another eight boards. Jameer Harris, 11 points on 4-6 from the floor, three triples to add. And your boy, a little bit of everything, stat sheet stuffer, we're going to start calling him. Miles Kale finished with 13 points, four rebounds, four assists, and two steals. From a team perspective, 59% from the floor, 
39% from three on 13 of 33 attempts. The Pirates outperformed them in the paint, 48 to 16. And get this, Tommy, Miser Recordia did not have a second chance point nor a fast break basket for the entire contest. Mike, that doesn't kind of surprise me. You know, uh, what surprised me was that there was no actual broadcast of this game outside of the radio broadcast. You know, you would have thought that they would have gotten flow hoops to do it or maybe even just put it on the pirate network. But the two clips that they showed us, oh my goodness, it looked like the Misericordia guys took a page out of the out of the Italian playbook and just kind of put some unathletic looking guys out there i don't know man maybe that's why they didn't want to show it that's not fair you couldn't play d3 hoops if you wanted don't be taking shots don't be taking shots my fault for taking the hot take mikey but what did you what what's the biggest thing you saw coming out of this game i didn't see we're gonna we're just talking to talk about storylines okay i'm gonna start with the fact that jared roden all of a sudden shows up in a walking boot he's injured before the start of the game and we also don't have brandon weston suiting up so let's start with jared roden You know, he sprained his ankle on Monday in practice, and now he's questionable for the opener against FDU. And Willard's asked after the game about his status, and the response is it's game to game, and he wouldn't elaborate any further than that. So I have a couple of concerns here, right? It happened on Monday, where four days later, precautionary walking boot were more concerned than that. What I'm shocked about, Mike, is that nobody has seen him since Monday. Three days later, there was no even word on the internet that he was in that boot. I'm not overly concerned about the walking boot. That's kind of just standard operating procedure these days. You tweak your foot, you tweak your ankle. They put in a walking boot so you can protect it. I'm not sweating that. Yeah, but where are all these insiders that cover the program? We're really hush-hush about a sprained ankle. I mean, really, he's your best player on the team, first team, all Big East preseason. And we're not getting any updates from any of the beat writers to be like, Jared rolled his ankle in, in practice. Why is that like kept behind closed doors here? Maybe it was one of those things where I knew, but I couldn't tell you. You know, one of those lines. Well, here's what I'm afraid of. I, I think Jared's going to be back and Jared's going to be fine. I mean, it didn't get reported as a major concern at this point. I had an even bigger surprise than Jared Roden being out. That starting lineup, Mike. Kadari Richmond, Miles Kale, your boy Harris, Trey Jackson sneaks in there, and Alexis Yetna as the quasi five. It's frustrating because I, I don't get to determine who was right, you or me. You got Harris and Kale starting. <laughs> we were both and, right. And my, my question is how much do you really read into this? Because who would have come off the bench if Roden was healthy? Because we know Roden's a starter. Would it have been Kale? Would it have been Harris? Was Jackson and Yetna still going to be starting at the four and five, regardless if Roden was in the lineup? I, I don't know. Maybe it's just one of those things. It's it's an exhibition game. We're going to just kind of throw some guys out there, see how they perform. Hey, man, everybody was talking about how well Trey Jackson was doing coming up to this game. Maybe he earned it, man. Maybe he's in the mix. What I would really like to know is, and be interesting to kind of have this information, what was the starting five for the closed door scrimmage versus Temple? And did it match the front court starting lineup that we saw in this game? If it was Yetna and Jackson also against Temple, that'd be interesting. That'd be something to talk about. Rumors had it that we kind of got pounded on the glass during that game. Maybe this was kind of one of those things saying, hey, you didn't take that game seriously. Now we're going to do this. 
You're thinking maybe the starting lineup for that game was Samuels and Ike Obiagu. And this was kind of like to send a message back to them. Hey, you guys got your lunch handed to you. So I'm going to roll the next two guys out there and make this a little competition. I'm okay with that. Why, why are we so cloak and dagger? I don't understand. I, that's how Willard is always. It's always that like, shh, don't tell anybody what I'm doing. Well, but, you know, in all honesty, we're making too much of this. I think it's too much TMZ. I don't think it's that big a deal. So you don't think then the distribution of minutes is, is that big a deal either? I, I was going to sit there and go, hey, Aiken. First sub off the bench for Kadari. That's surprising. That That's going to surprise you, Mike. I'm just saying we were going through the rotation and the distribution of minutes. I, I thought Kadari would have gotten more run. He kind of came out about four minutes into the game and immediately Aiken got some run. He plays 10 minutes all in the first half. And then it's also reported that he's on another minutes restriction because he rolled his ankle a couple days earlier in practice. How do you, how do you, play him for 10 minutes in the first half after he comes off the bench and then tell us he's on a minutes restriction. Wouldn't you have spread those minutes out? Or are you worried that it's going to get tightened up if you put him back on the bench? Uh, I don't I, know. Like I told you, Mike, I don't want to hear it. I think the kid has got bad luck. He probably tweaked the other ankle from last year. I don't want to hear it until I see him healthy and playing serious minutes. I can't believe I'm coming around to you here. Are we seriously going to be going through this all year? You're going to be going of- through this. You love this. They, they, you love they, this kind of stuff. He played well from what everybody said. So he, he's another dynamic potential piece of the puzzle for this team, just like we said last year. And people are going to talk it up if he's going three or four from three-point range. And they said he had the most explosive energy of anybody on the court that night. So it's going to get talked about. I'm sorry. You sat there last year and told me ad nauseum about all the big games he had against power five teams. And now you're actually going to puke on me with him scoring a bunch of points against a D3 team. No, no, Michael. No, no. We're going to move on. The bigger thing is Samuel coming off the bench at about the four minute mark for Trey Jackson and playing well. I don't care about playing well. Once again, look, you see the a, competition. a second ago, you were telling me how well Bryce played, but now you don't care. About me. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. The, this isn't your guy. My bad. No, no, Bryce was shooting 27% from three. It was nice to see the ball go through the basket from deep. I just want to see that his shot was kind of more honed in because he had his legs underneath him. Tyrese was playing against like you know, JV middle school kids when I'm looking at who he was dunking on in some of those highlights. Come on. I, I found it interesting, though, that he came in off the bench as the first sub at the four or five spots. And Obiagu really didn't play. He only played four minutes in this game and he didn't even come in in the second half. I know it's an exhibition, but you know, everybody was scoring at will. And of all 14 guys to take the floor, Ike doesn't score only registers these four minutes. Is there any concern about Ike not starting? And then could he see his role diminished throughout the year? Like you saw in this exhibition game, once again, Probably way too early to tell, but any red flag here? I don't know why he's not playing. Maybe he tweaked his ankle, and we don't want to hear that either. We know what we're going to get from Ike. He's not a mystery. Maybe they just wanted some guys to stretch out their legs and get some big-time offense, and we know that Ike is not an offensive kind of player. I mean, he's guy on the defense. I don't don't know. I'm not going to read into it. Let's wait till Fairleigh Dickinson comes into town. If he doesn't start against FTU... Maybe we got something more there. Well, speaking of stretching legs together, I would have expected the point guard play to be, you know, in and out for each other. Kadari starting, Aiken coming in, but they had some extended run with 
themselves in the backcourt. We were always talking about who's going to pair up with which point guard, Kale or Harris. And we got to see in the first half that two of them play side by side, which I think is intriguing because there is some combo guard skill sets for Aiken. Do you think we're going to see more of that pairing throughout the season? Potentially. I, I think you'll see some of it probably against teams that uh, like the press. So maybe against the St. John's where you don't have to get the ball into one guy's hands. You have several guys that can break a press. You know, we've always said that, you know, Aiken is a point guard just because of his stature, and he's more of a two with his skill set. He's a shoot-first guy, likes to likes to light it up. Maybe this gives him an opportunity to play with a guy that could cover kind of your traditional size two guard, and Aiken can cover the point. I don't know. I, I like ball handlers. You put a second ball handler out there that can break a press, I like it. All right, let's talk about ball handling some more. I'll continue to overreact and overanalyze these minutes. You have Jahari Long, who played some serious minutes in the second half, got some nice runs, scores eight points, hits a three. It seemed like he is the next point guard up after Richmond and Aiken relative to the pecking order, uh, how guys got into this game. So I I got two points for you. Are we to assume that right now Jahari Long is ahead of Ryan Conway on the depth chart? And number two, could we see Jahari Long playing some backup point guard minutes to allow Aiken to slide over to that combo guard role? Wow, I don't know, man. You know, I heard the ovation he got when he came in. He checked in. He scored some points. He hit a three, which was which is good to hear because, you know, his shot last year wasn't anything to write home about. Is he the third point guard on the on the depth chart? Potentially. Maybe it's a good thing that we brought in Kadari Richmond and, and Bryce came back. Maybe Conway's not ready for prime time. If you're going to have him out there, though, you're going to have to get him some minutes because you, you can't pull this like three, four minutes a game and expect him to be ready when Aiken gets hurt. You're just going to hate me all season because I'm going to keep on telling you that the wild card to all of this is now going to become Bryce Aiken because his health is going to dictate who else is going to backfill, who else is going to slide over to the two, who's going to play the depth position at the backup point guard. Aiken's going to be the one who makes all this stuff and slide in different directions. I can't with you, Mike. I just can't with you. I didn't think we'd be having this conversation, but here we are. And once again, you got a major wild card in what Bryce Aiken can do for this team. I, I can't with you. I don't know why anyone expects him to be the wild card when physically and historically he has not been able to stay on the floor. And it's no fault of his own. I like him. I like his play. I like the things I saw from him when he was on the court last year. I, I just can't with you, Mike. I can't do it. I don't, I don't have the energy to do this. Isn't a player's best ability their availability? <laughs> Hey, all right, Mikey, give me your biggest overreaction based on the on the texts you were receiving from your buddy. Kadari Richmond struggled in his first public appearance as a pirate. Is there any cause for concern? One of five shooting, three assists, and a little bit of everything else, but it committed four turnovers against inferior competition. Just kind of getting the nerves out, working off the rust. You tell me. I would have had to have seen the turnovers. Not all turnovers are equal. Uh, I know that in previous years, if a point guard of ours had four turnovers, we'd be all over their stuff. It is an exhibition. So, I mean, were they, I'd have to see it, you know, and, and unfortunately it wasn't on the pirate sports network. So we weren't able to see it. So I don't know. 
one of five shooting seems a little off-putting considering the level of competition that they were seeing there. You would have assumed he would have hit a few more shots, but FDU's around the corner. I'll take more away from the FDU game than I do from this one. I don't think it matters if we saw the game or not, if we're analyzing the turnovers or not. You know, we're breaking down that first game in Italy. Tommy, and if you go back and listen to the episode, we gave a solid 15 minutes describing the different size of the ball. Trying to make excuses for the lighting that came into the building as to why the Pirates shot, what, like 0 for 26 or something like that. It was very high schoolish. It was a very high schoolish type gym. And on top of that, I fell in love in that game with Takal Molson, right? <laughs> Jumping into passing lanes, being in the right defensive position. I did say Takal shot did not look straight, but everything else about the kid I fell in love with. So I just think that, like you said, regardless of the stats, regardless of what people saw, it was a D1 opponent versus a D3 opponent. And we just need to take it all with a grain of salt before you start putting guys on certain pedestals. We're starting to run guys out of town based on the performance of a 60-point blowout. Hey, yeah, Mike, you know, but think about how we would have reacted if we had played against this D3 school in a similar way that other teams played against their exhibition opponents, Mike. Now, are you telling me we would have done some sour grapes and grapes if we were on the other side of some of the following results? You're I'm just... I'm just saying for every time a St. John's beats the heck out of a Baruch college, there's other examples, Mike. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, if, if we were number nine Kentucky and we had to pull it out against Miles College 80 to 71, this would be an angry podcast breaking down an exhibition. There's other schools all across the country that kind of had some struggles just coming out on the right side of the W in these first exhibition games. I'll give you a few. Butler, 73, University of Indiana, 68, a D2 school. DePaul, 67, Montevallo, 63, D2 school. Ole Miss, 83, Traveca Nazarene, 76. Were they out of Italy, Mike? That sounds like an Italian school. I I don't know. D2 school after I looked it up. Oregon State, what did they go to the uh, Elite Eight last year? 83, St. Martin's, 80, D2 school. Texas A&M, 76. Texas A&M, Kingsville, 72. D2 school. I I know we were D3, so maybe there's a big drop-off between D2 and D3. (laughs) But it could have been worse. You could have been Valparaiso. Two exhibition games, two times taking the L. Lost 87 to 78 to Ashland. And then followed up with a 70 to 67 loss to Flagler. I mean, talk about possibly letting the wheels go off the ship after a couple exhibition games. You're a D1 program. I don't care if you're Valpo or if you're Kentucky. You should not be losing as a D1 program twice, twice in your exhibition season. Their coach played all five of their starters 30-plus minutes in both of those games, and they lost. Come on, man. Oh, that's a tough L. It's going to be a long season for Valparaiso. But, Mike, it wasn't that long an evening listening to the SOU broadcast. You know, you put up. You were saying, you know, I can't believe you sat through that. But I'll tell you what, I think the announcing was good as on a whole. So they they got their little mic drop moment there. But however, I do give them a mic flop. And it it hurts giving, you know, college kids a mic flop for the uh, announcing. But they were reacting toward the end of that game on every big play. 
as if they were calling the Big East tournament, Mike. Oh, it was just a big flop for the overreaction. There was there was one play. I don't recall the play, but they both literally screamed at the same time. It was, come on, guys. You're playing I mean, D3 Misericordia. Don't overreact. Okay, Mike, since you weren't going to listen to that WSOU broadcast, you weren't going to hear their great job. We also didn't hear a whole lot coming out of Kevin Willard because they didn't have his opportunity to have his post game with Gary and, and Dave Popkin. But that doesn't mean we haven't heard some. And now, Deep Thoughts with Kevin Willard. So, Mike, after the game, I did find an article by Adam Zagoria. You know, some folks aren't big fans of his, so your mileage may vary about what he writes. However, I did find an interesting quote. It kind of talks about another pirate who's coming back from injury and in this case brandon weston so here's the quote i think he is seven months out of surgery he looks great b west is doing great he is still only seven months out of surgery and when he was asked if he would redshirt him this being willard he says i have no idea aren't you concerned by that answer and i know what willard's doing already right but aren't you a little bit concerned there Mikey, we joke around about Coach Willard that he wants to be a hockey coach with these huge line substitutions that we see at times, you know, four guys in, four guys out. But now he's almost taking the injury report in a similar uh, vein as hockey players do. Oh, he's out with the shoulder or he's got a knee. You know, they never really go into depth about these things. What's the big secrecy, Mike? I don't think it's secrecy. I think he's erring on the side of caution because of everything that went down with Miles Powell. I know you're probably going to say I'm jumping to conclusions here, but the point is I did some research. The average ACL surgery recovery time period is about six to nine months. And a medical journal study done in 2016 that surveyed 80 amateur athletes showed that the average recovery time is about eight months. So I think he's kind of just putting it out there from a factual perspective. Hey, the kid had surgery. It's only been seven months. He's not going to give you a specific timetable because the minute he does, everyone's going to hold him to that number. And if anybody wants to go research it or kind of question what Seton Hall is doing medically, I think they're going to come back and go, it's only been seven months. Could take anywhere from six to nine months to recover. We're going to bring him back when he's ready to be brought back. It's not this year. It's not this year. I'm not going to answer redshirt questions. But, I mean, this guy's got the potential to be another contributing piece to this roster. And everyone says he's chomping at the bit to get back. And now we're going to be in this cautionary, I don't know, mode, probably all the way up till the start of the Big East season. You, you know, I don't know what to expect. And, but maybe this works in well. You know, the last week when we were previewing the season, we were sitting there wondering what the rotation was going to be like. And whether his star recruit and whatever people want to say, Brandon Weston is the star recruit of that class. Is he going to get time? Is he going to want to transfer if he doesn't get time? Because Willard doesn't like to play freshman. Maybe this works out well. I think think by the end of the season, we're going to see Brandon Weston playing. I don't know that this is Willard being overly cautious. I think this is probably Willard listening to the medical staff, 
which is what you should be doing if the medical staff tells you that the guy's ready to play who are you to say he's not i would i would just hate to see it if brandon's behind schedule and you know maybe he's available somewhere in i, I don't know I'm making this up you know january late january early february and and willard likes guys to be in the the flow of his defensive rotations and and know the system I would hate to sit there and have a guy who wants to get in the action, but now it makes sense. Hey, just sit out for another two months, get a full year under your belt still in terms of eligibility and let's roll with it the following season. And then there could be a possibility where he's upset. If that's the way it would play out, if he's ready to come back and play, Willard's got to play the kid. You know, a kid who's a top 100 recruit is not sitting there going, got to make sure I have four more years of eligibility beyond this season that's just not the way these kids think i could be wrong but if he's eligible to play we got to get him back in there absolutely and the kid's gonna want to play if a doctor says i can play but speaking of recruits we got another one to sign and this one's kind of a little more fun than other ones don't you think michael i thought you don't talk about recruits until they're here oh wait a minute he is he's here well, or, or he was, okay. he was, he was here for a visit. He wasn't here for a visit. He committed someplace else. Now he's go ahead. Give me, give me the backstory. Set, set the stage here. Jaquan Sanders has committed to Seton Hall. Six, three shooting guard from far Rockaway. The attended our savior Lutheran three-star recruit ranked by rivals at 142nd. He also held offers from Yukon, Illinois, Creighton, Xavier, and actually decommitted from the Johnnies, Michael. Right, so you, you, you got to give that backstory, right? Because there was a bit of recruiting drama before we start talking about the skill sets of what Jaquan can bring to this team. So he took an unofficial visit to Seton Hall back in the beginning of September uh, on the weekend of the 3rd, if I'm not mistaken. And then he chooses St. John's over Seton Hall basically about a week or so later on September 14th. And there were some rumblings that, you know, he was leaning towards Seton Hall. Then goes on his official to St. John's and the deal is sealed in terms of that commitment. And then lo and behold, he decommits from St. John's less than a month later on October 4th. And all the rumblings is mom wanted him to get further away from home. And all the St. John's people are going, wait a minute, further away from home. And now there's, there's rumors that he's going to go to Seton Hall. That's not that far away. There was a quote that he had given to, to Zach Braziller, uh, if I'm not mistaken, my mom doesn't want me to stay in New York. She wants me to go to another place. She knows I'll stay focused and be focused. That was really it. There are stories that in the neighborhood that he grew up in, one of his friends was recently shot and that there were a lot of issues with, you know, local shootings and going on in that neighborhood. So being in Queens, being in his own backyard versus being across the river, an hour and a half away at Seton Hall kind of gives that little buffer zone still allows family to come watch him play and that mom was dictating this decision. But there's a lot of grumbles and gripes going on in the recruiting circles, just building up that bad blood between Seton Hall and St. John's. I, I, I don't know, Mikey. I don't know if it's really an hour and a half away from his hometown to get if you dealt with the Orange. Have you dealt with the traffic going through the Holland Tunnel? Are you serious? You, you can get on uh, public transit. I know guys that like to live large like yourself probably never were on a public transit system ever. But, you know, if I'm him and I want to get away from things, I'm heading to Omaha, man. 
There's no nothing's going down in Omaha. I'm going to Creighton. But, but isn't that isn't that part of the story? Like, who, what the heck is out in Omaha? Period. Like, but besides basketball, they, they they got the College World Series out there. Well, in all seriousness, according to the scouting report, he's a sharpshooter. He plays with good pace. Plays big time defense, which is going to fit in here at Seton Hall. And you know what, Mikey? We've had a lot of luck with New York City guards and. Let, let's see if it continues on. I, I think in today's game, we've lacked in our recruiting uh, focus, getting a guy who has a specific skill set behind the three-point line. What was the last guy that was added to the to the enrollment at Seton Hall that you said, wow, this guy is going to be a dead-eye three-point shooter. Or he's my three-point specialist. That, Pro- last time I heard Pro- about that was Miles Pro- Powell. No? Oh, he, oh, Mike, you don't say that name. He who shall not be named. Come on, it was Miles, right? Uh, absolutely it was mine. okay i mean it was, it was i mean sandro kale roden decent three-point shooters or average three-point shooters not anywhere in their bio of like oh this guy's going to come in and you know shoot the lights out it was miles powell and that's it for quite some time here so even if he's just going to get utilized initially with that skill set to stretch the defense and take advantage of the analytics of the three-point shot in today's college game i'm in and maybe if he develops his body and continues to work on that handle and be that aggressive player that these scouts describe could become an all-around complete player. So it sounds pretty promising. I just know there are some people out there that are skeptical that when you're back and forth flip-flopping between two programs like Seton Hall, St. John's, people want to know that you're fully committed, that you've made the decision, that maybe mom is not driving the bus. That, that kind of frustrates some people because you don't know if a year or two down the road, we might see another flip-flop and see him transfer out someplace else. So, you know, you know well, Mikey, he's a 17-year-old high school student, Mike. I want mom driving the bus. Leave him be. All, all these people, I, I, I love this attitude that this kid has got to be mature beyond his years to be an appropriate member of this team. These are still kids. Leave them be. Let them grow up. Stop any, it. I don't have any inside info, but some there was some rumors that something about his uh, original unofficial visit didn't go well, and and people won't kind of you know own up to. Was it uh, an issue on Seton Hall side? Was it an issue with the kid's attitude? So when you when you have that backstory around the first go round, I'm happy that we got him on the rebound, but. It'd be nice for these these kids to pick us first once in a while, wouldn't it? Whether he picked us first or second, he's coming to us first, and that's okay. all that matters. All right, all right. fair enough, fair enough. All right, Mike, we've gotten all that out of our system. Here comes the meat of the meal, Mike. We've got the first game coming up this Wednesday at The Rock against Fairleigh Dickinson University. And as is our norm, we wanted to go behind enemy lines and find out what Seton Hall can uh, expect against the Knights. However, instead of going and getting a beat writer, Mikey, we decided to go to the horse's mouth this time. This week's guests have ties to the Seton Hall men's basketball program. One spent three years as assistant coach at Seton Hall from 1994 to 97 under George Blaney and is now entering his ninth season as head coach for the Knights. The other spent three years at Seton Hall as a grad assistant coach under Coach Willard before joining Coach Horinda's staff this past year. Please welcome to Left Coast Pirates, Fairleigh Dickinson University head coach Greg Horenda and assistant coach Brandon Hall. Gentlemen, how are you today? 
Tom, Mike, how you doing, guys? I'm really excited to be with you guys, man. I got a brother that lives in Burbank, by the way. So uh, I'm familiar with the left coast. And I had another brother that uh, lived in La Mirada. But it's uh, good to hear some Jersey voices out there. People people know somebody in California. They think like that's the entire state, Tom. I mean, come on. I mean, we're all the way down here in Southern California by the border, you gotta, man. You got to get cut him some slack. Jersey, you know, every, Jersey's so small, you figure everybody knows everybody. You know, uh, Burbank, that's like a three-hour drive here if you're lucky, coach. That's right. No, I, no, I know the traffic. I know. And Barty is my guy. I mean, I don't know if you guys, are, how close you are with Barty, but Barty, I'm my own radio show, and Barty feeds me all the Fox people. And uh, so, I, no, I'm connected to the left coast. Trust me. Well, th thank you both for taking some time out on your busy weekend to join us. We, we do appreciate it. Very welcome. All right, let, let, let's get started. Uh, we, you know, how excited are you both to actually have a full season of basketball with fans going to be in attendance? I know that's been like the, the big storyline for all the beat writers getting back into the arenas as the season's about to kick off. I just think with the, the way the season went last year and the way that um, we didn't have fans until the end of the season, as you guys know, the last five games we had fans at the Prudential Center when I was there. And the way the season ended the previous year when we were getting gearing up for conference tournaments all around the country, the way all that ended, just to get back to some normalcy uh, and see some uh, faces in the stands and some excitement around the games. We just had our exhibition the other day and we had a lot of faces in the building and it was just fun to see the kids feed off that, obviously. And we feed off it as a staff. So it's just great. I'm excited. I'm really excited to get back to some normalcy. Coach? College basketball, you know, is is about the student athletes, the students, the alums, the families. So it's 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 everything. So last year it was really difficult. You know, everyone was playing hard and getting up for games, but it's just the the cheerleaders, the band, it's just Television is going to be more exciting. And, and I think our players, you know, and Brandon alluded to it before, you know, we had an exhibition game and it, there was just juice. Walsh was jumping and college basketball is, is about young people being excited on the floor and in the stands. And that's the only way it can be played. So I think I'm just like everybody else, man. I, I just can't wait uh, to play in front of people and, and, and get back to some sort of normalcy. Well, Coach Horrenda, like I mentioned earlier, it is always nice to see members of the Seton Hall family get their opportunity to advance their careers at other programs across country. I mean, we we love seeing the Lavelle Sanders. Yep. Not so much the Danny Hurley going up to UConn, but, you know, we're, we're happy he's got a yep. job. But obviously, yep. you spent some time in South Orange, and now we're seeing many others get their shot. So. Yep. What qualities in Coach Brandon Hall made him stand out that you thought, hey, that's the right choice to add to my staff? Well, really, it just goes to another Seton Hall guy because I didn't know Brandon at all. And Grant Billmeyer, the associate head coach, was my assistant for one year at Fairleigh Dickinson. And Grant did an incredible job, you know, recruiting Hall of Fame players in, a, in less than two years. And he just told me Brandon is going to be terrific and spoke so highly of him that I had to interview him. And then when I interviewed him, I saw that not only was he bright and excited, but he was a worker. You know, and he, I know he put in time at Seton Hall and St. Peter's and, you know, and at, a, at a place like Fairleigh Dickinson, you need local tough guys. And that's uh, 
exactly what Brandon is. He's a local, bright, young coach, and he's kind of in charge of our defense now, and he's doing a terrific job. But, you know, you mentioned Danny. I coached Danny. I coached LaBelle Sanders. I recruited Shaheen Holloway. I uh, recruited Ramontis Caucanus. Um, so I'm, you know, in a three-year span, George Blaney was my mentor. I really, I love the place. Richie Regan was, was one of the all-time just great people. The tradition of Seton Hall. I, I grew up with Danny Calandrillo, who is one of the great players of all time. And, you know, Bill Raftery's doing the game. So it's, for me, it's, it's family. You know, it really is. And I have such, you know, PJ, you know, back in the day I was close with. And it's, uh, you know, it's a Jersey thing. But now, now because of PJ and the players, it's people like you that spread it nationally. It's a national program. And, you know, without that foul call, you know, we'd be up there and, and have a now. I know. I'm sorry, Tom. Cutting them off. Sorry. Cutting them off, Tom. Cutting oh. them off. But without that, and I think that's what keeps the edge, to be honest with you. I've always looked at it like it's kind of the edge that Seton Hall has to keep on plugging and keep on doing what they do. Because no one's going to hand anything to Seton Hall. No one's going to hand anything to Fairleigh Dickinson University. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we all have to keep on fighting. And for us, it's fighting for conference championships, winning NCAA games, which we won two years ago. And, and for Seton Hall, it's to get back you know, to, to the final four and win the thing. And that's, that's, that, those are the goals and it's plain and it's simple, but it's in, in another way, it's very difficult. It's hard. It's hard to, it's gotten better, but it's hard to recruit to fairly Dickinson. It's hard to recruit to Seton Hall, but now it's gotten better and both programs are, uh, you know, in a good place. And uh, we're looking forward to Wednesday night. Well, Coach Hall, you got uh, an opportunity this past summer to move up north on the Garden State Parkway yeah. and take that uh, assistant position at Fairleigh Dickinson. Now, without putting you on the hot seat or, or asking you to fluff up Coach Arenda here, how has he been treating you so far? I mean, I, I've had about as enjoyable of a six months as I've ever had in my entire life here working here at Fairleigh. I started over here in June and um, Coach kind of alluded to it before with Grant and how Grant helped me out of you know, getting me hooked up with coach. Um, but it's just been it's been a great experience um, coming in here and I'm doing a lot of the defensive things, which is what I've done as a player and done as a coach my entire career. Um, so it kind of just fell into it and it was a great opportunity for me. And uh, it's been the opportunity of a lifetime for me to move up from a graduate assistant to a division one assistant. Um, I kind of just I think it just shows what how, how coach kind of just thinks outside of the box a little bit here because there's not many people in the country um, who, who make that jump or who are given that opportunity to make that jump. And I'd love to sit here and think that I'm, I, I was ready and, and everything like that. But at the end of the day, Coach Renda had to pull the trigger to grab a graduate assistant, regardless of age or anything like that and experience. Um, and put a ton of trust in me. And you have three guys on your bench who are assistant coaches. Um, so I think that just speaks to him and, and how much uh, he trusted his guys who he's had, Grant. Uh, he gave me a great opportunity. And it's been exciting and I'm excited to be here. Was that an acceptable well, answer there, Greg? I don't think he sucked up enough, to be honest with you. <laughs> I was waiting for, like, you know, no, no, no. You know what? That was good because I think, I think Brandon, I fired you twice last week. This last uh, week. Yeah, it's been twice. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very demanding on my assistance, and it's a strength and it's a weakness. But what Brandon does every day is just he punches the clock. He comes to work. Our players respect him. 
everyone on campus respects them. And it's, it's, you know, we call it a fairly Dickinson family. It's not a nation. It's not a program. It's, and I just feel like he's brought Eric Legrand from Rutgers to our practice, who's he's best friends with. And, and I bring my family uh, to him and right away, uh, that's the way we do it. It's the only way at small schools and you guys know it at Seton Hall, man, that's a small compact campus and you have to get along and win, or if you don't get along, uh, you have no chance. So I'm, uh, no, I'm, 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 I'm really, really excited about Brandon being, you know, with us and, uh, he's been great. So Brandon, let's take that uh, point that you made earlier and, and let's expand upon it a little bit. What is the biggest difference for you going from that graduate assistant role into a full-fledged assistant coach position? Yeah, I mean, the biggest thing is that you're a GA, and, and I think anybody in this business and this organization knows, as a graduate assistant, you're low man on a totem pole. Um, you're kind of doing the little things, the daily tasks and things like that, and you're kind of there to be seen and not heard. And you're supposed to just do whatever you're told and things like that. And here as an assistant now, um, not only am I an assistant, but and working for coach, and he just alluded to it, like he, he's probably the most demanding person I've ever played for, works for anything. Um, so just getting, turning around and understanding the attention to detail that, that needs to be done in this type of job, um, in this position, understanding the responsibilities. There's so many more responsibilities. Obviously, I'm on the court now. Um, so everything that I was doing at Seton Hall as a graduate assistant off the court, you add on your on the court things, you're scouting, everything like that. Um, so it's just a full fledged, and, and I got a great taste of it at Seton Hall, and I was working for a great boss and Kevin Willard, and I had a great mentor and and uh, Grant Billmeyer. But like I just said, I mean, I've been playing this game since I was five years old. I'm coaching now for nine years. I've never worked for somebody who demands as much from myself as as Coach Rendy does, and for me, it's. In the beginning, it was a big transition going from the position that I was in to the position I'm in now. But I sit back and, and think about where I was on June 1st when I started this job and where I am now as a coach. And I'm very thankful for where I am and who I'm working for and uh, the demands that are put on me because I think I've grown night and day from where I was to where I am today. All right, let's, let's, let's dive into this upcoming matchup a little bit, guys. I, I was kind of surprised when we were doing our background notes. I didn't realize that this is the first time that Seton Hall is playing FDU dating all the way back to the 17-18 campaign, kind of felt like they always played each other every season, if not to kick off the opening night. How important is it for FDU in terms of recruiting and program exposure to play the Rutgers and Seton Halls of the college basketball landscape in New Jersey? Yeah, Mike, it's it's really important for a lot of different reasons. And, uh, you know, most important for our players and our recruits and our fans and our alums uh, for us to be on the same stage as Seton Hall is uh, just gives us credibility on the recruiting trails. Kids want to play on television. They want to play in big arenas and um, they want to compete against the best. So it's really, it's a, it's a, it's a great game for recruiting for our players and then our fans, you know, get to, you know, the Rothman Center is nice and tight. And it's like Walsh and it's got a lot of history. But to go into the arenas and we've played, I think, seven national championships. My first game here was against Arizona. Um, we played Kentucky, uh, Villanova, um, Cincinnati, Ohio State, a number of teams that uh, have won national championships. And that's 
that's what we want to do. And quite honestly, these games accrue money for our university and for our athletic department. So it checks so many boxes, but the biggest box it checks for, for me personally as a coach, Mike, is that it gets us ready at the end of the year that we're not going into games with our eyes wide open. So when we play on a, um, on the, we've won two championships on opposing courts. So we go into Wagner when it's sold out or St. Francis PA when it's sold out, or when we go to Dayton and it's sold out, we've won in those three buildings. You know, we've never won a championship at the Rothman as long as I've been here. So, so it just helps you in March. It, it, it's just great. So I'm really indebted to, you know, Kevin is a great coach and a friend and Brian felt, you know, uh, as an athletic director, um, and Jimmy O'Donnell and all these, these guys. And for me, again, that's why we're on the radio right now. It's like a homecoming. You know, you just see a lot of people that you know. And it's, uh, yeah, I wish we played every year. So if you guys can tell those guys we need to play every year. But the first time we played it, we were lucky enough. We won the game in uh, 2014 or something like that. But um, but since then, you know, Kevin has taken it to, to another level. They're really, really good. They're really, really big. This year, we're really, really young. And uh, But for us, it's just a tremendous opportunity and something we're looking forward to. Well, you could ask Brandon. We don't have much pull in the program. I'm sorry, Coach. But, you know, <laughs> with the team that's coming in, uh, we took a look at your roster. Wow, it seems awfully young out there. If If – Yep. If the roster's up to date, it looks like you have almost three quarters of the team being underclassmen with only probably even less than a handful of upperclassmen. So what kind of pressure does that put on uh, the upperclassmen in the backcourt uh, being Brandon Rush, who scored 13 points a game last year, coming back as a junior, and, and Brandon Powell, who's a senior who scored about eight points a game? Yeah, I don't know if it puts pressure on them, but uh, now it's their turn to, to, to take over. What really happened, uh, Tom, at the end of the day is with the new transfer rules, we've had three really good players graduate with very meaningful, great degrees. They all went to the NCAA tournament, won a game in the tournament. Um, and one is at Northwestern. One is at uh, Oregon State. So you got a Pac-10, Pac-12. And uh, Jaleel Jenkins went to uh, Stony Brook. So the, the turnover now is in all programs is, is quick, you know, and, and we weren't able to go into, and I really, you know, without going on to another subject, the transfer portal, you know, my philosophy is if we can get a great transfer, I'm going to take them, uh, Tom and Mike, but if not, I'm going to get young, good talent and just turn this thing around. And when we went to the tournament in 2016, we were the third youngest team in America and we were picked ninth. And guess what? We were picked ninth this year. <laughs> and I think we're close to the third youngest team in America again. And that's just the, that's what we have to do. So there are a lot of teams out there this year that have gotten older. We've gotten younger. But I'll tell you one thing, man, I won't give up my guys for anybody. We have some just beautiful kids that play hard, talented, and uh, are going to step up. Um, and be really good players and be a really good team. I'm not sure when. I'm hoping it's Wednesday night. But if not, it's, it's going to come. And I really like the direction that this team is, is, is heading into. But we know we're in for, you know, a really tough task with, uh, with the Pirates. 
Yeah, with with all this youth, it's it's just our guess that there has to be a ton of unknowns on your side of the spectrum here, right? You take a guy like Joe Munden Jr. He got a chance to start five of the last seven games to end last season. You know, right. is he one of those players that you're expecting to now take a big leap? Yeah, no, he's on an all rookie team. And if you watch, and I know Grant Bill Myers looking at every tape known to mankind, like we were we were thirty thirty with Providence last year at the half. And Joe Munden's like second touch, he tried to dunk on. I forget who it was, if it was Watson or whatever. Joe Munden's a New York City kid, you know. He's from the Bronx, and he's talented, and he's not afraid. And no, so Joe Munden, Devin Dunn, Mikey Square, uh, P.O. Racine, and, you know, are the guys that are coming back, obviously, uh, are the guys we're looking to. But we've got good freshmen, and. And everyone um, that knows me and knows our program, we're not afraid. We tell all our freshmen, man, and, and this is for both you and uh, Tom and Mike, uh, don't wait to be great, you know? And I recruited Shaw. Uh, Remus took a little time, but I told Shaw, man, don't wait to be great. And I didn't have to tell Shaheen Holloway that, but our freshmen. I don't, think anybody, I don't think anybody need to tell Shaheen Holloway that, Coach. <laughs> ever, ever. But. My guys, I got to make them believe it, and 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 they're good. We started five freshmen the other night in our exhibition game, so uh, so we got the dust off them. We put the uniforms on, and now uh, you know now it's time to do it for real. All right, Brandon. Coach has been talking about all these freshmen. Eight freshmen on the roster this year. Give me one or two that particularly jump out that you're high on. Don't hey Brandon. Don't tell them anything. I'm only kidding. I'm only, I'm, I'm only kidding. <laughs> okay, terrible spot. <laughs> um, now, Anquan Hill out of Philadelphia is uh, he's a good little player we got here. He's like you said, we have eight of these guys. And to be honest with you, um, and I talked earlier about coaches that he's a really outside of the box state type of guy. He, he does things that the traditional coach is not going to do. Uh, we, we started five freshmen the other night. It went very well. Uh, but Anquan Hill is one of the guys that stands out. Just He's just a sponge on the court. Um, this is my first year. I got a lot of energy every day. You, you can't play for coach and play in coach's program every single day if you don't come with the ultimate energy. Um, so so our practices are energy filled and, and we're getting after it. And Anquan's just a guy who's just a great kid. He's a great kid off the court, but on the court, he's, he's ready to go every single day. He just loves being here. He loves everything about Fairly. Um, but his ability to, 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 to play on the court is just above the other guys to me. He, uh, he does some things that we haven't really seen out of some of our other guys, and, and Anquan's a guy who I'm excited to continue to work with down the line. Brandon, you had a bird's-eye view of yep. a lot of the players from this year's Seton Hall team for the past several years. You've seen them grow. You've seen them get better. Who are you telling Coach Arenda that you've got to key in on to slow down this Pirates roster? Yeah, you know, the obvious one, obviously, Jared jumped off the charts, but Jared and Miles and all those guys, Bryce, the, those guys are, uh, the way they've grown, um, I was there with those guys for three years. Obviously, I lived with them. I was I was part of the, the dorm staff over there. Um, but just to watch Jared and his development and what he's been able to do, he was obviously uh, preseason first team all Big East, things he's been able to do and watching that kid grow from freshman and playing with Miles and all those guys to where he is now where he's the guy. Um, I've had a lot of conversations with Coach about Jared and and what he's able to do and, and the, the level of uh, enthusiasm he plays with in the court. Jared's definitely the guy who I've talked to Coach a lot about and the level he's been able to up his game to, especially recently. All right, guys. Normally when we do this segment, we're going behind enemy lines and we're talking to 
a beat writer from the uh, the opposing team. So once again, thank you for giving us a look behind the curtain from people actually on staff and the head coach, the man themselves. So thank, thank you, Greg. Thank you, Brandon. We're going to kind of, we normally would put that person on the spot and give us a prediction of the final outcome of the upcoming game. But we didn't think it'd be fair to have you guys predict Seton Hall on the air, you know, and, and, and put you in that kind of spot in the locker room. So we're, we're going to take a little different twist here. We're going to say, give us the prediction for the Knights overall this season. Well, I think, you know, obviously I'm rooting for them every night except Wednesday, but I think Kevin, you know, obviously he's a really good coach. He's a smart guy. His dad, I, I mean, I coached against Kevin when he played at Pitt and his father was the head coach. That's how old I am. Okay. But his team is a lot like ours in that he's got to figure it out, you know, and the depth that they have and the parts. And I think that'll all, that takes time. I think for every coach, you saw Kentucky last night. I don't even know the final of the game. They were playing a division two team uh, in miles college. They were trying to, they're trying to figure it out. But I think at the end of the day, you know, Seton Hall is Seton Hall. They play really, really good defense. They had, they're big, they're talented, but now they've got to put different people in different positions and, and they'll figure it out. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, you know, the big East is, I was in the big East back in the day when it was, you know, more of the big East than that it is today, but this big East is so it's equal opportunity. You know, you have a chance every night, there's a team that has a chance to beat every other team, uh, but I just think, you know, Rich, Richmond's so talented. So I just think their physicality right now puts them on the map as a national team. And, uh, you know, but, but at the end of the day, guys, you know it as well as I. It's basketball. You got to put the ball in the basket and making shots. And Kale make shots and Roden make shots. And the guy that I really I'm, I'm excited as a fan for Seton Hall is the kid uh, Yetna. Alexis Yetna, we played him at South Florida a few years ago and lost down there by a point. He's a man child. He can shoot it. He can score. He's tough. So my prediction is good. And I, I don't want to put any, you know, yeah, there's no pressure to, for me to put a, a, on Seton Hall, but I just think they're going to win a lot of games, get into the tournament. And then this year, you know, you get into the tournament, I think it's going to be wide open. So I'm just rooting for them. And I think, I think they'll have to take it one step at a time, just like ourselves. And we'll have to take it one step at a time. But these guys are way more experienced than us. And uh, I see I see a fun year and a year where uh, the Pirates do really well. I'm, and, and again, like I said, I'm totally rooting for them. Okay, Coach, just to close things out, you mentioned that you were picked ninth in the preseason poll. What do the Knights do this year? How do you feel about your team? Yeah, again, I – I want to win the championship. I want to win the the tournament championship. We've been regular season champions before. I want to do that. And we'll do it if our talent level and our hard work, you know, intersect at a really high level. And I, I really mean that. But our league is really, really talented. But just like I said about the Big East, it's it's an equal opportunity league. You know, we've we've won this league a few times and we know the league and um, the reason we're picked ninth um, Tom, to be honest with you is because the respect they have for the three players that we lost and they have no idea. People have no idea of the people that we brought in. So, and neither do I until they actually do it. So I think we're going to have a really good year. Our goal right now in the pre-conference is to just get better 
every day, every game, and get ready for a conference play, get into the conference tournament and win it, you know, and that's uh, it's going to be a tall task, but that's, that's our job and that's my job. Well, Coach Horenda and Coach Hall, we can't thank you enough for spending some time with us today. We wish you and your team nothing but the best of luck this season after the game Wednesday, obviously. But, guys, again, best of luck this year. Tom, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you having myself and uh, Coach Hall on. It means a lot to us, and I just want to give a lot of love and a lot of peace to all the Seton Hall fans, the Freddie Artists and the Tom McAvoys and all the people uh, behind the scenes there that that uh, I miss and I, I really love those guys. And uh, I, But I, I appreciate you having us on. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate it. Great talk there. Okay, Mike. We left coaches off the hook by not having them pick a winner. What's your prediction for this game coming up against Fairleigh Dickinson? Are you seriously asking me if I have to make a prediction? I'm going to predict that if we lose the game to Fairleigh Dickinson, that the rest of that robust non-conference schedule uh, what were we saying? Possibly eight and three. You had a seven and four. Couldn't could possibly see us going to six and five. You lose to FDU and that young of a roster that has to figure out what they're doing the first night to start the season. And we lose that game. Tommy, Tommy is, is going to get ugly. This has to be a win and almost kind of an extension of the exhibition season. I don't expect it to be a 60 point runaway, but they should kind of by the halftime have the game under control, you would hope. And the second half is more of a, you know, work in some of the younger guys, play around with your rotation, get people's feet wet, get some reps in, get some different looks with certain combinations. Anything less than that, I'm going to be upset. You know, Mike, if we go back 30 years, Fairleigh Dickinson was actually one of the schools that I had applied to. You know, I applied to a few backup schools just in case, for whatever reason, Seton Hall didn't come and knocking. And, and so, you know, I, I've got a some sort of connection there but we had a nickname for fairly dickinson after the fact and that's going to be how i feel about this game oh, you're playing a fairly ridiculous card if we don't win this game by a fairly ridiculous amount of points i think i'm going to be disappointed this is a super young team no matter how talented these youngsters may be no matter how well they play down the line i got faith in coach horrenda to, to drag out a lot of talent and a lot of uh a lot of success out of these guys, but game one coming out to shoot, no, our guys no. should be able to win this game fairly easily. Absolutely. I, I'd be more concerned about the second game of the week more than anything else. But, but, but then again, as we start going through the Yale scouting report, you know, they're pretty much a young team as well. I, I hate to be losing to these young teams week one out of the gate. So let's give a quick overview of Yale, uh, highlight some of their guys, Predict that the Pirates win. Call it a 2-0 week and move on. Yale's coming into town. They are picked to finish second in the Ivy League this year. They played no games last year as the Ivy League halted all athletics. They finished 23-7 and with 11-3 in the Ivy League in 2019-20, and which was good for first in the Ivy League. But, but here's my problem. These guys, these people don't know what the heck they're talking about. Right, so they haven't played basketball for now almost what eighteen months, and they're gonna go well. Yale finished first two years ago, so let's kind of predict that they'll be at the top of the the scale again because hey, they have potentially the best player in the league in Azar Swain coming back. So here's a kid who's six foot, 
senior shooting guard, all Ivy League uh, in the 1920 season. 16 points a game, 38% from three, which was best in the conference. You know, and even the three-man we predicted him to be player of the year in the Ivy. So it's, it's, it's just unfamiliarity with probably most of these rosters. So you're going to take a player like this, associate him to a team that finished first two years ago. Why the heck not? Let's put him, let's put him second in the conference. But otherwise, Tom, this roster is pretty darn inexperienced. You know, they only have two other guys that average more than 15 minutes per game in seniors, Jalen Gabidian and Mathieu Cotton. You know, and, and Gabidian was also a co-defensive player of the year back in 19 and 20. So you take two guys that had accolades in the Ivy League two years ago, probably most guys have decided to graduate and move on in life. And you're going to pump this team up as, you know, second in the conference. I mean, are, are you really worried about the rest of the youth on this roster? No, again, this is going to be one of those situations where uh, outside of uh, Yale being well-rested since they haven't played for 18 months, I I don't think there's a whole lot to worry about here. Uh, You know, they're probably going to be a a, a team that's going to perform well. Uh, They're going to know the game, which is usual of these Ivy League teams. But I, I think this is going to be a really hard season in general for Ivy League teams to try to come back from 18 months of inactivity. I get it, but people are going to try to pin certain or paint certain stories or narratives coming into the game. They're going to tell you, hey, James Jones entering his 23rd season as head coach of the Bulldogs. And I bet you didn't know, second all-time winningest coach in Ivy League history. And they're known for fantastic ball movement and patient shot selection. And, you know, that that could be something that gives Seton Hall fits. That's what everybody who does a write-up for this game is going to say. But the reality is Seton Hall is a more talented team. They should be able to impose their will underneath the uh, the basket. They should be quicker off the ball. They should be patient and disciplined defensively to not give up those open shots late in the shot clock. Once again, I, I think Yale could give them a challenge or be pesky but Seton Hall should not be coming out on the losing end of this game. They just should not. No, they shouldn't. And uh, But I will say this. I think both of these games will end up being closer in the final score than either you or I will like just for the simple fact that Kevin Willard doesn't keep his foot on people's necks. You know, it's fine. He, I'm okay with that. I mean, I know people play towards the net and give me the metrics and the analytics of the, of the Ken Palm need to be higher. I'll play eye test. If, if we outperform these teams for the first 30 minutes of the game and then he coasts to the finish line by letting other guys get minutes for developmental purposes, that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll take my evaluation from the first 30 minutes of the game. I'm not worried about what the committee's going to think about our final metrics against Yale, you know, three months down the road when we're getting into that bubble range. I'm just not. No, and I'll tell you this, though. If Kadari Richmond comes out of these two games – with similar type statistics to the first game, I'm going to start worrying. If Ike Obiagu ends up only playing a handful of minutes in these two games, I'm going to start worrying. Oh, you beat me to it. I was going to say all the things that we joked about in recapping the exhibition game, if any of those storylines continue to play themselves out in a very similar fashion, yeah, we're going to dive into it. We're going to be all over it because now we're starting to put a footprint on the season Uh, relative to, you know, what Willard was willing to roll the dice on or, you know, start to build the foundation of how he wants this team to play and who he wants to play. So, yeah, it'll be telling. It'll be an interesting first two games. 
I, like I said, I, I predict a two and a week. Anybody who doesn't, I think you're kind of off your rocker, but it, it'll be interesting to see how the performance is now versus a D one competition, you know, across, across the way. We'll actually get to watch these games, Mike. These will actually be televised. I'm ready. I'm ready for these games. I'm ready to watch the pirates handle their business. Uh, so I'm excited, Michael. I don't know about you. I'm going to be saying go pirates. Go Big Blue. Thanks for joining another episode of Left Coast Pirates. Be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any of your other favorite listening platforms. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter with our handle at L Coast Pirates. And don't miss out on any of our previous episodes that include interviews with Seton Hall legends, Danny Calandrillo, Mark Bryant, Andrew Gaze, Shaheen Holloway, and many others. For Tom Kaharski, I'm Mike Desiri, and you've been listening to Left Coast Pirates.